What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin, and this week, I am not in my usual recording location in a fancy studio. I'm once again in my closet recording this intro for you guys because I'm prepping, man. We had the first year of Out of Character complete, and now we've got season two coming up. Season two is going to start next week. Well, I should say year two. I don't know if season counts, but year two begins next week. I'm going to be recording episodes in person at WrestleMania, and I don't want to say who yet, but I'm working on some some pretty awesome guests, so I want to start prepping for those, and I want year two to start off with a bang. I want to start off with a big name, and I got someone in mind who I will be sitting down with most likely, but I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to say anything quite yet. I'm going to prep. In the meantime, here is round two of the best of out of character. Uh, I put my four favorite 10-minute segments together that I felt really showed these four people for who they are as individuals, the people that are behind the character, which is the whole point of this show. So uh, we got Happy Corbin. We've got Becky Lynch. We've got King Woods. And we've got Reggie. Now, Reggie might, you might say to yourself, why Reggie? Why are you picking Reggie? I didn't listen to that episode. And I want you to say, I want to say to you, you should have listened to that episode. Because to me, it was not only one of the most fascinating episodes, but it was one of the most inspiring stories I've heard from someone on the podcast yet. His his entire tale of, you know, the the hardships that he grew up uh, struggling with and, you know, gang life that he was involved in and how he used the circus to get out of a bad situation and not die, but instead thrive and follow his dreams was something that was so inspiring to me that I had to make sure I included it on this episode. He's a really cool guy. Uh, you know, he's doing his stuff in WWE, but if you didn't listen to this episode, I really want you to check out just this 10 minute segment. It's genuinely an inspiring tale that anyone can take something from. So if you didn't listen to it, I really do think that this is something that you will enjoy. All right, we're going to be back next week, like I was saying. New episode next week in person with a big WWE superstar. I'm superstitious, though, so I don't want to jinx it. I'm not even going to give you offer. I'm not even going to offer you some kind of tease because I really don't want to jinx it. Uh, so let's get to the Reggie clip. The, the circus that everyone else sees <laughs> around the world is Cirque du Soleil. Yes. And that story is unique as well because... I saw a Cirque du Soleil performance when I was probably 13, 14 years old, and I told myself, that's what I, that's where I want to be. That's exactly where I want to be. And so throughout my childhood of leaving the circus and coming back because of gang violence, being shot at, in jail, losing my uncle, all of these different things, I would always walk away from circus and then come back. Walk away, then come back. I would always walk away when it was beneficial for me to play sports, hanging with friends and whatnot, And then when I didn't have circus in my life, I would always go back because I was at an all-time low, getting shot at, going to prison, selling drugs, getting into fights, expelled from school, all these different things. And so that was a tragic moment in my life. It was my, it started my junior year of high school. I was in a gang fight at school and I got expelled. I got thrown into prison for a couple of days. And that's when life hit rock bottom for me. Um... Everything was really bad. I had left circus. 
I was deep into the streets. Um, then that summer, the guy that I was in a gang fight with, my be- one of my best friends, he was shot and killed that summer. And when he got shot and killed, that took me even south, further south. And yeah, it was just one, one thing after another. And after this, at this point, I had completely cut all ties with circus people, except for my mentor. We would always talk occasionally. And then one summer, I just went to Circus Harmony, went to Circus Flora, the show that I walked out on. And um, I was watching some friends perform because Jessica had messaged me and said, hey, come see our show. It's the last show. And I went to the show and I remember just sitting in the audience watching the show and the entire audience, it was quiet in my head. This is in my head. Everything is quiet. And I just see this light in the middle of the ring, seeing my friends have so much fun doing what I used to do, the fun that I used to have. And I'm just in this dark spot. And so at that moment, I said, I'm either going to change my life around or within six months, I'm going to be dead. And so it was that moment where I said, I need to get back into circus. I need to get my grades back, uh, get my grades right in school. I need to change my life around. So I made a decision that then and there to get everything back on track. Um, I did a tryout for the National Circus School, the feeder school for Circus Soleil based out of Montreal. And um, in 2010, I graduated, took a year off 2011. I did the tryout in February. It was a one week long uh, tryout and they made cuts every single day. So I get there the first day on Tuesday, I believe. And it was 150 people. Damn. The day started 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. At 10 p.m. We all wait in the cafeteria and we all have these numbers kind of like a, a, like a, a PC tryout. Yeah. <laughs> we all have these numbers and uh, it's 150 people. And at the end of the day, we're all sitting in the cafeteria, and this lady comes down with a USB uh, key or whatever, plugs it into the TV, and then these numbers pop up. Everyone rush to the board. If your number's there, you made it to the next day. If it's not, you have an extra week to do whatever fun in Canada that you want to do. <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal. And so I made it throughout the whole week, crushed it. And then uh, I had to wait for a month later to see if I was accepted or not. So from 150, they accepted um, 32 people. Wow. And I was one of them. Wow. And so blessed in itself right there. Yeah. And so I said, this is the next step for me. Uh, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to attend this three-year program, the feeder school for Cirque du Soleil. And there's no going back to St. Louis. And I, I was happy to go to Canada because even though it's super close to the U.S., it's still pretty far from St. Louis. And I didn't want to go back to St. Louis. And I know I just did I couldn't go back to St. Louis because I knew what was there waiting for me. And so throughout the three years, I realized so much how my education in the St. Louis public school was so trash, how far behind I was in every aspect of, um, of learning. And so that was a struggle for me, not only trying to keep up with everyone in English, but all of our courses were in French. Yeah, I, so I, I, I saw that when I was researching the National Circus School and I was gonna ask, <laughs> did you speak French before going there or did you have to learn French to go the, because you knew you were going there? Clean partout, zero, <laughs> no at all. It was the most difficult, stressful time of my life because 
<laughs> I'm supposed to be able to speak proper English, but I was so far behind, and so it was it was so difficult. So I was trying to get the correct phrase in English, uh, translate from French to the correct phrase oh, in English, and then God. it was tough. It was difficult, but I managed. I passed. I graduated, and I got a, a job right after school. I was very very blessed to be uh, very valuable because a lot of circus companies wanted my partner and I to work for their companies. But we worked with a company called Seven Fingers of the Hand and we created a show that was primarily about each artist using our real stories and whatnot. And that was an amazing two and a half years by far. So that's the, like the performance uh, arty kind of thing that I saw then, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we performed in theaters. Yeah. yeah. And that company is like, it's like, it's family. It's a smaller company, all family, super amazing people. Uh, I could call the director three o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I'm having this problem. He would book me a flight. He would talk to me, all of these things, incredible. And so I worked for them for two and a half, uh, three years. And then I knew it was coming that uh, after that third year, Cirque du Soleil called me and said, hey, we want you to be a part of our show, Lucia. And right there, dreams were made. Dreams came true at that moment. At that moment, And that was the time I told myself I wanted to be in Cirque du Soleil. And then I got that call. I get there. First city was L.A. Amazing. Incredible feeling. And at this point, I'm 15, oh, no, 14 years into my circus career. I'm like, that's, and I'm, I was only like 25, 26 or whatever. I'm like, well, this is incredible. That's what I was thinking that, you know, I, I sometimes feel like that way with a lot of athletes too, where, you know, you have this goal where this is the thing that you wanted your whole, you know, for a very long time. Like I want to be in circuit. I want to be in the NFL or the NBA or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, like when you achieve that goal so early in life, mm -hmm. and then you're like, what's next? You know what? I got to think yeah. of a new thing now. You know, I still got most of my life left. I got to think of the next thing. So um, to me, it's cool mm -hmm. that you were able to take that next thing and find pro wrestling and WWE because um, I think that's awesome, you know, but, but also I do want to hear a little bit more about Cirque. So when you got into Cirque and you had that first performance, how did it feel knowing that you had accomplished your dream finally? So even before I got to LA, we had to go to Montreal, go to the uh, Cirque du Soleil headquarters and uh, get our costume fitting, uh, go through all of these different procedures, learn how to do the two hour makeup. Uh, we had all of these different classes, learning the show, watching all these videos, it was a lot. But I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is what it's like to be a Cirque du Soleil performer. This is what you have to do. And so from, from day one, flying to Montreal, I didn't care how much snow was in Montreal. I didn't care how cold it was. I was so happy to be there because I knew I was going to LA as well. But I was so happy to be there because I was living my dream. And then we flew to LA, we get to LA, meet people. They say, these are our new students. I mean, our new uh, performance, new, new birds. And that first performance, I don't think we messed up, my partner and I. I think we killed that performance because we were so excited. And it was our first time on, a sh on, a sta on that stage, on a stage like that. And I remember myself as a kid watching uh, the circus show Kidam. I said, man, one day I'm going to be on that, uh, on that stage. And it took me right back. And it was come out of, we were the first act of the show, coming out of that curtain with all of that energy, all the hype. Oh, 
It was incredible. It was no, I thought that there was no better feeling in the world. That right there was the feeling. That was what every kid dream of when he's a kid, that moment right there. Well, okay, I wanna go back to wrestling a little bit. We talked about the baby and stuff, but these two obviously came together because you were at the high point in your career when you got pregnant. Was it difficult for you at all to step away from that? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, you know, you're, you're in this business, you're on the go, just, just really 24 seven, you know, like your mind's always racing. You're always thinking about, um, what you have to do, what's the next story, what's, um, what's the next match, what's the next appearance. And so when you go from that to doing nothing, and then the whole world was changing at the same time, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was a lot. It was hard to, it was hard to step away. Um, but at the same time, the world was changing. So if you were going to step away, it was probably a good time to step away. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. But I mean, were you worried that it would affect your place on the card? Should you make the decision to return? So, um, sometimes I think I'm a glutton for punishment because, you know, I love a challenge. And so stepping away, I knew that I'd be losing my top spot, but then it was a challenge. And I, I think I envision everything as a Rocky montage, right? Like, so, so coming back is, you know, I'm just always like, how can this be a Rocky movie? How can, you know, so, um, so, so I, I like that challenge of going away, being away for a year and a half and then coming back and wondering if I was still going to be able to go, if, if I still wanted to go, if everything was going to change and maybe I would just want to, be at home with my, I didn't know. I, I didn't know how anything was gonna go, but I think if anything, it just made me hungrier. So then you genuinely weren't sure when you left if you were ever gonna come back? Um, yeah, probably, probably. I, I mean, I was probably 60% I was gonna come back, but you know, there's, there's, there is that 40%. I don't know how I'm gonna be as a mother. You know, I know how I am as a, a single woman, um, as no other real priorities. But um, as a as a mom and as a person who's in charge of this tiny little baby, I didn't know how it was going to be. I didn't know if, if it was going to change me so much that I was like, you know what? Maybe I just want to be at home now. I do not just want to be at home now. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so wait, I want to go back a little bit to the book. Yep. So you wrote a whole book on your career, like from your whole, your whole life story, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What inspired yeah. you to do that? Um, I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to write a book, and I think whenever I was going through hard times um, as a teenager, and I, I was always like, "Well, will this sound better in the biography? It will. Okay, we'll go through." It. You know, and and I think when I've looked at things that way, it's just made everything better and made everything easier. And I kind of, do you remember the my sacrifice videos that they used to do? And so, I always wanted that struggle. And I, I think I've always sought it out. And this may be akin to, you know, going away, stepping away when I was at the, the, the height of my career and coming back is that struggle. You know, I, I always want that struggle because it makes it make I think it makes you more interesting as a, as a human, as a character, as a book, as a film, as whatever, whatever you want it to be. It just makes a more interesting life when you struggle, when you go through those hard times and you overcome and you overcome and you overcome. So. Well, and I think a lot of people who maybe didn't know you before WWE have no idea that you stopped wrestling for a while, that you walked away from it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that, I mean, your story is something that's perfect for a book. Well, if it ever comes out, buy it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> have you talked to any publishers or anything like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, but nobody ever gave me a deadline. So I'm like, well, I'll take my time. <laughs> <laughs> Got this whole pandemic. Of yeah. <laughs> now I don't have as much time anymore, but yeah. Well, you're on the road, so you I'm get on time. The road. Well, no, but you're with the kid when you're on the road. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, I'm with the kid when I'm on the road, when I'm not on the road. So, yeah. Well, here's something I was wondering, you know, when, you know, before, when you were rising up as the man, mm -hmm. social media really helped you, I feel like. You know, you're, you were, you know, coming at people on social media and you, you really helped form your character on social media. But when you got pregnant and you stepped away, I feel like since then you've really moved away from social media and haven't been using it as much. Is there, is there a reason for that? So uh, when I stepped away, I kind of just wanted to um, let everybody forget about me a little bit, you know, um, and hope, honestly, hope that that would help the pop when I came back. It's, it's all for the pop. That's why we do anything, you know, it's for the pop. And so I, I hope that it would help the pop when I came back. And also, sometimes I just don't like giving away everything I did on social media was always in character. And I don't like giving away so much of my life on, on, Twitter on on Instagram I think that's not it's not why people watch the show and uh and 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 so so when I wasn't the character when I wasn't the man then I felt like I, I don't I don't need to put this out there because well what's the point it's not driving a story um yeah but before you became the man before you were kind of like coming at people on social media you I feel like you were very engaged with your audience on social media still as like you the person yes yeah 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 and then when I turned into the man then I was like well let me let me just put all the all the character stuff and well it worked you know <laughs> it, it worked and so when I was um tweeting it was always to drive a story and was kind of to 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 elevate myself as a as a performer and as a character. And so then, but then once you get to the top, you're kind of, for lack of a better term, punching down. And so that's not as, that's not as fun to watch, right? Like that's, nobody wants to see the, the, the top guy being an asshole to the guy beneath them, unless you're a heel, which, which kind of are now, but you know. Which, which I am now, um, I suppose. So um, uh, much the love of everyone. Um, so, so yeah, and then and then coming back, I, you know, it's, it's such a tricky thing, right? Because I use it as a way to drive stories, but it also really hurt people, and um, and also I I think you go on Twitter less so Instagram, but you go on social media and it's just such an angry place. And I don't know that I, I mean, I deleted all those apps off my phone. I don't, I don't know that it's a, it's a healthy place for people to be. And, uh, and so in a weird way, I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to it, but it's also part of my job. But I, I guess, you know, you, you look on there and I suppose if I imagine the world like that, I imagine if everybody talked to everybody like they talk on social media. I just, I suppose I just imagine going into, say if you had a local coffee shop and you go in and the first day the barista is like, hey, how's it going? And the next day you come in there, I liked your hair so much better yesterday. Now you've gotten a little fatter and a little dumpier. 
you were better yesterday. You know, and I just liken it to that. Like, what would the world look like if that's how we treated each other? You just other? walk into the coffee shop and they're like, uh, you're cringe, Becky, get out of here. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Saying cringe is so cringe, right? you know? But anyway. No, I, and I completely understand that because I think that like, it, I don't know what it is. I, I kind of feel the same way, you know? And I, and I, I think that similarly, you know, I think that with you, you did use social media to, to help your career. So it's almost like weird to, not weird, shouldn't say weird, it's almost like probably confusing to now go the opposite way and be like, well, I don't want that anymore because maybe I was contributing to the negative side of things when I don't want to do that. And I kind of feel the same way with like yeah. the site that I used to run. It's like, I don't, I don't want to criticize things all the time anymore. I want to like shine a positive light on things because I see how it affects people. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, think, I think sometimes just the, the world needs more more goodness but but also the other thing is like it, it, it is a way to entertain people but so then but sometimes then it gets taken out and and it goes and it, and, and it gets a life of its own and but I suppose you, your whole thing is you, you got to put out art out into the world and then see how people interpret it but I don't know I'm just I've just got a weird relationship with social media and I I look at my my baby and I I go well I don't I don't want her on this. I don't. I don't want her I having to navigate that as a teenager. And so the whole thing makes me go. I don't know how I feel about it. And maybe I'll go back and maybe I'll do more stuff on it. But for right now, I, I, I I'm just taking a step back. So was the name change then this most recent one, the Happy Corbin, something that was brought to you? That was 100% Vince. I heard it actually on Twitter. They were like, Ah, oh, twi uh, the WWE just. Copywrote um, Happy Corbin. And yep. I was like, what? I was like, that's where we're, what? And so I, I was confused and I came and I asked. They're like, ah, we don't really know what you're talking about. And then sure enough, a couple weeks later, they're like, hey, your name's Happy Corbin now. <laughs> and I was like, huh. So Twitter knew before I knew. And I mean, that's how you find out about a lot of stuff. It's so funny. <laughs> I, was, I had I that, have no idea. Same I, with my music. Like I showed up to work. And they're like, hey, we're going to rehearse your entrance. I'm like, it's no different. And they're like, no, you got new music. And I was like, huh? <laughs> Since when? Like, I had no idea. So it was just pretty funny. You got to be able to work on the fly a little bit. Well, the new music is, I, I like the new music. We were actually discussing in here before. It is beyond Because your original entrance theme was awesome. It is. But it doesn't fit with what I'm doing no. right now. This new one is, the music hits and it's just like, I feel like people just go, oh, not this guy. Like, so it's great. It fits exactly what I'm doing and it's fun and energetic and... Uh, again, irritates people. When the trademark filing thing happened, I feel like that was even before you had started doing the broke guy stuff, right? Yeah. So when they when they finally came and told you about well, it, was it like, this is how we're gonna get there, or? No, I think, I honestly believe that the sad Corbin wasn't supposed to last as long as it did. I think it was supposed to be kind, from what I understand, it was kind of supposed to be a two week thing of like, you're gonna lose a crown, you're gonna get a little depressed, but like, it became very entertaining and it was and I had a lot of fun because it was like polar opposite of anything I've done and I think that's what is fun about this job for me is it doesn't become monotonous when you continually evolve and that was just like a hard left from anything I'd ever done and it was just this miserable guy with a dirty shirt and the worst part was not being able to cut the hair or the beard because yes. Vince is like I get a text message at like 2 a.m. from Vince <laughs> it's like don't shave or cut your hair. And I'm going, okay, where's this going? After like three weeks, I'm going like, his arm. And I got like the Costanza hair going. Like, I'm like, what do I, like, I don't know. And I'm, the best part is I'm, I'm visiting schools for my daughter. They're like private schools. My daughter's two and a half. 
and I'm going in and I like my beard and hair you can't wear a hat into these places so I, <laughs> I look ridiculous and I'm going I have to apologize for how I look it's my job and they're just like because it's private schools like not yeah. cheap and they're, they're judging me the second I walk in yeah. it was just really funny so I think it became organically interesting like there was um, one of the Smackdown talk shows uh, whatever Talking Smack and mm -hmm. uh, I did the interview where I was like I had to bang a soup can on the edge <laughs> yes. like I was just freestyling like that's the fun and that kind of like spitballed into a bigger thing and then they're like the day in the life of Corbin when we did the TikTok or whatever it was and that was another one where we just were like just going with the flow we didn't have any creative direction it was just like let's go have fun and do this and then people really started to enjoy it so it kept going and kept going and kept going and then I think Vince felt the right time with change was was Vegas because it'd be a fun story it's you know, it can happen to anybody. You can take rags to riches in Vegas any day, or you can go the polar opposite. You know, I mean, you, yes. know you never Which you know. Went through, your yeah, went right? through in Vegas. So, um, and that was funny too, like being in the casino, looking the way I did with a stain down my shirt. And it was the same shirt the whole time. Like, Which is I great. watched I it. Love it. I watched it maybe once because I got blood on it. But um, <laughs> like that early morning, we're shooting the hotel scene, and I, I was like, oh, I tripped and fell over this thing. I got this huge dirt stain down my shoulder. And the parking lot was so hot. But then I'm walking around the casino and people are just like, who, who let the homeless guy in here to gamble? Why is it? And I, I'm cutting these, like, I got chips. Like, and people yes. are just like wide-eyed. It was so funny. I feel like since you weren't, since, since you had to shoot them all on your phone too, since you're in Vegas or whatever, that it was probably, you probably felt really weird everyone watching you while you're doing it. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. And, and it was, that's what was fun because people just, like I said, like even when we're in the, the, we're in like a nice, nice steakhouse and I have that terrible shirt on and like, we're, it was just, people were clueless to what was going on. It was so funny. Well, I feel like the social media stuff that you did at that time really helped solidify that as something people were into. I mean, I think, was it Maddie Cox that you were doing a lot yeah. of those with? They were hilarious. Yeah. I was loving those. Dude, and he's awesome with, with helping me uh, see a creative vibe and, and he helps me now with a lot of my stuff too. But like, I was like, I'm going in on this character, I'm going full tilt. So I stopped posting barbecue videos. I stopped posting anything. Like I 100% stayed true to character on social media for that three months that I was just, and people were believing it and buying into it. And when I would make my way to the ring, like fans would be holding 20. I mean, I probably could have made a thousand bucks a night if I had a hat for them to put the money in. It was crazy. Like banging on my window when I'm leaving venues trying to hand me money. Really? Like, dude. It was unbelievable. And I think people were starting to cheer me. It was like the first time in my career since maybe I debuted in NXT where people were like, I don't hate the guy right now. Like, I feel bad for him. And it was kind of funny. So it was, uh, it was fun to turn it back on. I'm like, I can't believe I felt sorry for that guy. Like, so that was good. It was fun. I feel like you and Brock Lesnar in the past year got to do nice little switches like that because the two of you are so known as like, heels like everybody yeah. hates you and then just like that everyone started cheering you when you wanted them to and it's so funny because you know the fans think that they're so smart with everything they really do but they get caught up in the moment just like everybody else because the guys that two years ago were going I hate Brock Lesnar he does three moves I don't want to see him now those are the people cheering the loudest for him <laughs> yeah. and he's the same person he's doing that but he's just kind of changed his vibe a little bit and it's so funny because um, you know, we did a promo. I walk out last week, um, wherever we were, San Antonio, and people booed me. Like, they're getting used to the music. So I don't have the initial, like, 
drowning out booze like when my old music would hit because the new one they're like wait what because they haven't seen it live or and then they then i come out and they're like oh this guy <laughs> so you get those booze and then i get in the ring and i literally go if you're happy and you know it clap your hands and everybody in the audience claps and i'm like eight seconds ago you guys were booing me like it's so funny our fans are so funny like that 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 like two weeks they can change their mind on everything you can go from the most hated person in the world to the greatest thing they've ever seen and they were the first to know that you were the best thing ever and it's fun, man. It's fun to toy with him. And I think that's what this character has got to do a lot of. I feel like Vince McMahon is the perfect example of that, where you see the internet crowd will say all these like, mean things or whatever, and they'll like, Horrible complain. Things. And the second he comes out, His they're music, like yes. on their feet yeah. like, yeah, it's like Vince the second coming of Rock or Austin. Like, <laughs> oh, it's Vince, I can't believe it. You know, but an hour ago, they're like, I hate Vince. He's <laughs> doing this to my favorite guys. Like, it's so funny, man. The internet crowd is so funny. Yeah, they, they are funny. Is it, I feel like you do a really good job of, of being above the internet crowd too, of not letting any of that get to you. And it's, it's impressive to me because sometimes it's hard. it's hard. Yeah, it, I feel like no, it's hard. And, and, and I feel like because I have a daughter and everybody, my daughter's huge and she's a bully. Like I'm rough with her. Like we wrestle and she's, like I said, two, year, two and a half years old and it's just vicious. And uh, my wife and everybody's like, she's going to be a wrestler. I'm like, no, she's not. Like, absolutely not. And I... I'm like, do you see what like I go through on social media? Being I'm like, the women get it worse too. Like, it's hard because there are people that have 11 accounts, and through all those 11 accounts, they're telling you the worst things ever. You're the worst wrestler they've ever seen. Blah blah blah. And like, I take a lot of pride in what I do. And when you see that, some people, it does get to 95% of people. That's why people don't want to be the bad guy. They want people to talk about them good on the internet, and they struggle. Like, I want to be the bad guy, but then they want to be cool. They want to be the cool bad guy because. They still want the internet saying, hey, this guy's awesome, but well, then you're not really a bad guy, are you? Like, um, so you have to have very, very thick skin. And I, and I think my ability to just disconnect from it, like I think um, when I'm done wrestling or if I hit the lotto tomorrow and, and didn't have to, I would go here, Instagram's gone, Twitter's gone, this, like, because it's not my way of life. I'd rather be in the woods for, uh, on 500 acres, you know, riding mountain bikes and blowing stuff up and grilling food like with my family I don't live and die by the internet so I think that's where I kind of am able to disconnect from it because it is non-stop I mean I could open Twitter right now and it would just be you're the worst I can't you're gonna ruin the show tonight or what like especially when I was constable man like my bad people were like he's ruining the ratings he's doing this and like you know he's the worst bad guy ever I hate him so much and to me it's a compliment like but some people read that and they like, you know, catch feelings with that stuff because it, a lot of them are very personal attacks. And dude, when I hit Becky with the end of days, I was getting death threats like really? on a regular basis. Have you ever had someone come and say something bold to you in person too? Or is no, it only on the internet? Always, 95% of the internet or safely behind somewhere good, where, good. where they can't be like accessed. Good. And um, it's funny. I think Roman said it the best one time. He's, he's never met a hater in real life. And it's the same kind of thing for me. It's like, it would be funny if at the airport all the guys hanging there for autographs and stuff. I'm like, well, let me open your Twitter. Let me see if you're blocked or not. And this will decide if you get an autograph. Or let me see what you said. Like, and it would all be horrible things, but they're there. Like, so it's funny. They're just, you know, it's a cool thing to do now. And in life, they, people just... I guess want to drag people down and makes them feel good and and my whole career has been that way with social media but i think now it's times 10 just because where the world is and um yeah you gotta have thick skin man yeah and it, I, even my mom reads it. my mom's like why would they say that i'm like mom it's they're saying it to a tv character not to me personally
you were always living your best life, it seems. And I don't know, you know, when it came in, but you know, you'll see you and you're you're playing the games you like and, and enjoying it and, and people are watching and following along with you, or you're rollerblading down the street and just, you know, vibing, or you're you're learning bass, or you're doing G4. You're you do an online campaign to get this G4 job and you get it. You know, a lot of people don't have that happen to them. And I wonder, you know, how early in your life did you start doing that? Did you start being so open about your passions um i don't know because it wasn't always like that i i always like dug my feet in and i might not have like screamed it from the mountaintops about the things that i liked but i definitely dug in and didn't want to ever um uh divert from those things because to me it was kind of i don't know my again things that my parents and my sister instilled into me from the time i was little is like you got you have to do what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting anybody else, because the only thing that's going to happen is uh, as, as we get older and we understand this sense of mortality, we start to think like, oh, man, uh, am I having as much fun as I wanted to? Am I living the life that I wanted to? Am I where I thought I would be when I'm when I'm 35, when I'm 40? You know, rather than having those types of questions and regrets, I'd rather exhaust all options. So wrestling for example. It's something that, that can be very fickle. You can be super hot one day and then super not the next day. So this idea of trying things and seeing what works for you is really important to me because I would rather go down swinging my own punches rather than go down swinging the punches someone else taught me because or told me to throw. Because if I go down swinging someone else's punches, that's when you start to get salty and you start to complain and you start to blame everyone else for the, the way that your life is at that moment in time. And I if in my head, if I got to that point where I felt upset about my life, I wanted to make sure that I looked in the mirror and I knew that it was because I didn't take the right uh, risk or I didn't make the right choices. I want to know that if I'm not meant for wrestling or I'm not meant for gaming or I'm not meant for, for music and bass, it's because I did everything literally that I could and it still didn't work. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I need to reset and find something else to do rather than have that little tiny tick in the back of your brain going, oh man, I should have studied more or I should have worked harder or I should have stayed later. I don't want to have those regrets because there's that you can't change that. You can't change that. And it's not how I want to live. And regardless of if that gets me crazy success or I just have ultimate failure and I have to start over on something new, like I, I want to know if I'm good at something or if I'm not good at something. And that to me is, I don't know, that's, that's me living my best life because I, I, I'm super hot for the feeling of possible failure. That's, that's, what, that's what I thrive off of is what happens when you're not doing well? What happens in a match when things aren't going like you thought they would, when the crowd's not doing what you think they should? Like, what do you do then? That to me is the, is the, is the essence of an artist, finding out what you do when things aren't going your way. I think that's why social media is so helpful, you know, to people, to creative people, because you can, you get a constant stream of what is or isn't working. You see what the people are saying, whether it's good or bad to an extreme degree <laughs> or not, you know, if, if what you are doing is clicking in some way. Yeah, definitely. But again, social media is, is a great place for that because uh, it's another situation where you have to know your audience. So we say that in wrestling a lot, like, so, so we can tell essentially, as soon as the lights go down in a wrestling arena, there's a sound because people are getting hype. If it's a low rumbling sound, then that means there's probably more like dudes there, early 20s, maybe mid 30s, but there's more, they're, they're probably gonna want something like more rugged, a little more aggressive. And if it's all high pitched, you know, there's probably lots of kids there. And so we can have a little bit more fun and be a little bit more jovial. And it's all based in that idea of psychology of 
what does your audience want? What do you think they need? And when you find out what they need, how do you give it to them in the most intricate and interesting way possible? And it's the same thing on social media. You know your audience, know what your followers are into, know how to branch out and bring more followers in. So what I've been trying to do on socials especially is obviously if you know wrestling, hopefully, hopefully you know who I am. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, and then and then hopefully you enjoy what I do. And if you don't, that's totally okay because there's how many wrestlers on the planet? You find something that likes for you. I'm chocolate ice cream. Maybe you like vanilla or strawberry. Totally fine. Um, but I don't think in that there's one sense, wrestling fan. I don't think there's one wrestling fan on the planet who doesn't know who you are. By the way, there's no way anyone at this point doesn't know who you are that watches wrestling. Like maybe outside of wrestling, yes, but New Day. There's you guys are like one of the most popular factions of all time now. At this point, there's no way that someone who watches wrestling doesn't know who you are. I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, well, I appreciate it. I just feel like I never want to assume because then you turn into that big headed, like, yeah, everybody knows who I am. G give me things and throw candies at my feet. <laughs> I mean, when I when I got the crown on and I'm on the show, yes, 100% would be like that. But you, you never know what people are into. People might just be starting watching and all that type of stuff. But um, now I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, I did too, but I just I couldn't <laughs> let that pass. I was thinking, does, does Woods really think there's someone watching? Oh. Go oh, ahead, the search waves, the search waves. Yes. So, okay, so if you're on socials and you know wrestling, yes, then I, I'll come up in your search stuff because you're into wrestling. Yes. So what I've tried to, very hard to do, and it started to work a little bit, is try to put my content in different search waves. So, for instance, gaming. I When I started doing gaming stuff, it was always talking about gaming, being on gaming podcasts, making sure that people in the gaming community knew who I was. If they're not wrestling fans, then hopefully this face comes up. They like what I have to say. They like my energy. Then they follow me on socials and they go, oh, wait, he wrestles too? And then they start watching wrestling. And it's like, oh, now we've brought fans over. And then in learning base, I figured, you know, let me put this stuff out there because it's going to help me stay on it and stay, um, what's the word, when you get a friend to tell you to keep working out? Oh, it's um, like accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll increase accountability and keep me on it. And so putting all my base stuff out there, I get a text from a friend. He goes, man, you're doing it. I say, what? He goes, I only have like music algorithms on my Instagram. It's like, and you just came up playing your base. And so for me, that's that that's understanding your audience and understanding how this social media stuff works. Yes, people are trying to get likes so they can get free hotel rooms and free vacations and all that type of stuff. And you do, you do your Instagram model pictures, all that type of stuff. All of it is fantastic and great. Um, for me, this is my way of trying to do that because I, I don't want to be just a wrestler. I've never wanted to be just a wrestler. Wrestling is fantastic. I will love it till the day that I take my last breath and for two more minutes afterwards, you know. Um, but I do understand that at some point, I won't be able to do this anymore. My body is finite, my career in wrestling is finite. And I think that it's um, it's it's something that you have to look at head on as far as what that next chapter of life looks like. And I feel like I've been lucky enough, this generation has been lucky enough to learn from the previous generation and the things that they've taught us and the knowledge that they've bestowed down upon us so that we don't make the same mistakes, so that we navigate roads differently. And I always feel like uh, people will randomly ask, you know, uh, what's your favorite, what, what do you think the best generation of wrestling is? And I think it's this generation. And I think it's this generation because the previous generation did their job of teaching us how to be better. And then hopefully we do our job of teaching the next generation how to be better than us. And so if every generation isn't the best generation of wrestling, then that means the previous generation is not doing their job. And so I think that for this generation of, of, of performers, of athletes all around the world, I think that we are doing a very good job of branching out from that, that old stereotype of wrestlers are just 
guys and girls with muscles who punch each other in the face. Yes, yes, we are that. <laughs> but also, we <laughs> we we have uh, college degrees. We have some of us have uh, you know uh, masters. Some of us own businesses. Some of us own car dealerships. Like everybody has their hands in something, and we're much more than what you get to see on Raw or SmackDown or NXT. And that, to me, that that is that's beautiful because. I didn't. I know I didn't get hired because I'm six five and two eighty. I got hired because of what's up here in my head, and so if I can use that creativity to create a new space for myself, a la in the gaming world, a la hopefully in the music world, then that's just showing people that, again, we're not just wrestlers, and any wrestling company essentially turns into a star factory because now you have these skills. I just I just saw WWE on Fox. Sorry, I'm rambling, but I got to no, get go for it. I love this stuff. Um, uh, WWE on Fox just a couple hours ago put out a thing like, "What's your favorite uh, moment of The Rock's career in WWE?" And I said, in a very, in a very seriously, it was the moment that he left WWE, went to Hollywood, and showed everybody that the skills you learn as a professional wrestler in this pressure cooker environment of live TV wrestling, you can learn these skills here, and when you go somewhere else with them, you have this unbelievable skill set that literally no other entertainer on the planet has. And I feel like if The Rock doesn't step out and become the highest paid actor in Hollywood, the world has a harder time understanding that. It might take a little bit longer, but he is crushing it in movies, in TV, in drinks. He's got a new Netflix special coming out. Like he's pumping on all cylinders. And I think that situations like that very much show how, one, how difficult wrestling can be and what kind of skill set you need to be at that top level in this business. Um, and so that that's my favorite thing about him is the fact that he's opened so many people's eyes to that, thus making it easier for our current generation to do things like that, which then hopefully makes it even easier for the generation after us to do things like that. And so uh, so I'm just hoping that, that this all keeps branching out because I, I love wrestling so much. And like, I love wrestling, wrestling, I love it. And to see wrestlers branching out into things like it's, I don't know, not to get like weird, but that stuff makes me emotional, man, because it, it's, it wasn't always set up like that for us, you know? All right, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Like I said, we're going to be back next week with a brand new episode, hopefully with a WWE legend. I don't want to say anything. I've already said too much. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. I shouldn't even use those words. We're going to be back next week. Brand new episode that I'm recording in person during WrestleMania week. Make sure that you are back for that. But until then, make sure you follow WWE on Fox on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're even on TikTok now. Even if we don't have any videos on the page yet, we're working on it. I'm working on it. Give me give me some time. Have some patience. I'm working on it. <laughs> but go follow us there in the meantime. Also, make sure you follow the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. Go subscribe there. That's where you can find clips from Raw and SmackDown every week as well as this show when it premieres every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Also, if you're listening to this podcast right now and for some reason you're not subscribed, just go subscribe. I don't know what you're doing. Just go subscribe. And if you're on Apple, uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a review or a rating as well if you liked the show. But I'm guessing if you've gotten to that point, you probably did like the show, so you're not going to leave a negative review. So please, really, <laughs> help us out. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.